Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Sheffield United Jukanovic to my Fulham Jukanovic. It's Justin Peach. Justin, before you say anything, we'll give the listener a bit of a disclaimer. We're re-recording the intro of this episode because the news broke that Slavica Jukanovic is set to leave Sheffield United. Um about five minutes after we finished recording this morning's episode. So we've quickly jumped back on to record a quick bit to talk about our thoughts about Jukanovic leading, leaving Sheffield United. And then we'll dive straight back into the normal episode, which uh, you'll be more used to, listener. Uh, but Justin, you said to me off camera that you weren't too surprised that Jukanovic is going to be leaving Sheffield United. Why was that? Um, I think it's purely down to... Um the way he's got them playing. Uh, they're a far cry from um, a Sheffield United side that has the quality at its disposal. You look at what you kind of achieved in a very short time at Watford. I think that's maybe perhaps what um, what what the Sheffield United hierarchy were, were after because what he achieved at Watford, playing a three at the back, two, two or three talented forwards, it's a fairly similar squad balance. Uh, to that Watford side, they got promoted in the fourteen fifteen season. Um, yeah, what he achieved with that side in a, in a short space of time was 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 massive, and he's not been able to get anywhere near that. Fulham it took a little bit longer to get going, um, but uh, as I say, not surprised because this team looked bereft of ideas going forwards. They were marginally better um, in the game against Reading, but still not creating enough, um, which is not acceptable with that talent of players that they've got. No, I think that's it, isn't it? Considering the players they've got at their disposal, you'd expect them to be in a much more lofty position than they are. But here they are, you know, laying around in 16th place in the Championship. But that's just, quite frankly, not good enough. And I think that's pretty much what the Sheffield United hierarchy are thinking. They're thinking that this side should be, you know, up and around at least the playoff kind of area. But they're not. And they look miles off it at the moment. We've been saying for weeks that we're not really sure how good the Sheffield United side actually is. I think they've got a manager who's got a very good record at championship level, but he's not necessarily got going. So I don't think the players that he has there necessarily suit his style of play. He's always played this 4 2 3 1, hasn't he? And that usually relies quite a lot on, you know, traditional wingers. But at times this season, he's had to play Gibbs White or Brewster on the wing and Ben Osborne, who is someone I've always thought of more as a, either a wing back or a centre mid, not necessarily your traditional out and out winger. So I don't think that's helped things. Um, but at the same time, they've not had a clear style of play and they've just looked a bit underwhelming, really, haven't they? Probably an understatement. Underwhelming. They've been really poor all season. Um, I think you've 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 hit the nail on the head with the 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 formation side of things, but uh, as well as that, just the constant constant rotation of starting elevens and and formations and personnel. It's it's um, been very hard to keep track of, and and for that reason, you know, I'm not surprised that Sheffield United have struggled to get any rhythm going this season because the amount of different uh, combinations they've tried up front um in defense i know it's it's not helped at times but look this is a this is a good Sheffield united squad that with the right manager <clears throat> can really can really propel themselves up the league it's just you kind of it probably wasn't the right it probably the right manager at the wrong time Sheffield united that's the way i yeah, describe well, it yeah, I, I probably agree um there was a lot of hope on the second half of the season but that's a mm -hmm. long way to 
long time risk. to wait, isn't it? And and it's also a big risk because how long do you wait for this second season bounce as it's been coined? But considering they have also got, you know, fifty million pounds worth of strikers pretty much sat on the bench who have only featured a handful of times this season, it's just not really acceptable, is it? So the fact they've Billy Sharp has been the man who started the most games within the season, and he's you know must be pushing seventy five now. Um, <laughs> it, it was it, it was time for a change. Once it that's not necessarily his fault that the strikers aren't performing, but at the same time, um, he he doesn't seem to be inducing any confidence into the maps really. So yeah, the, I, I feel like a new manager will be able to get a lot more out of this team. I think is the headline from this whole saga. And I I suppose in a way, I do kind of agree with you that it's not really a surprise you kind of is leaving. The question is, where do they go now? (laughs) Yeah, that's the the million dollar question as it's coined. Um, I I don't know because it, as I say, I thought Yukanovic was the right man. It's just the wrong time for him. You know, will they go down the century repeat? They were linked with that manager who's based in Belgium who Barnsley were interested in. I'm sure they were. Um, but he couldn't get a work permit. Um, and it was the same issue with Barnsley as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. I've got no idea who who they could possibly go for. Maybe someone to tie them until the end of the season. I think it's too late for them to recover um, a playoff challenge or um, or a top two push. Obviously, um, I think they just need to consolidate, get a transition through the squad going, and um, finish as high as they can, and, and, and you know, help them into the next season. Do you really think it's too late for them to get into the playoffs? I mean, they're only, just looking at it now, they're uh, nine points off, eight, sorry, eight points off the playoffs at the moment. That is definitely salvageable. And we've seen teams in the past, you know, get it over the line. And they're definitely good enough with the players they've got. So it all depends who they appoint now. And I don't really know where they go with recruiting a new manager now, because there are plenty of, good managers out there before I'm thinking the likes of Cooper even Wilder you know <laughs> good managers out there who could have turned it around um, I wonder if they'll maybe look at someone like Daniel Fark for example as um, someone who's available mm. um, I think would suit the style of play that Sheffield United have played in recent years as well I, I think he'd be a good fit maybe um, other managers coming to mind I mean Dean Smith's off the market now isn't he so he won't be going Frank Lampard Oh God, no, absolutely not. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think Farker would would suit that. Whether he wants another job in England, I, I don't know. Um, but uh, there's definitely managers out there. Maybe even looking down the route of someone who's got um, you know plenty of experience and has um, been looking for the right club for quite some time. Someone like Alex Neal, maybe. I, I don't know. I, I think Farker would be my. Uh, top choice, but I, I still think Sheffield United could definitely get in the top six this season. The return of the king, Neil Warnock. <laughs> Imagine, I hey. would pay hey. so much money to see that happen. <laughs> Please make it happen. That would make me so, so happy. It really, really would. Anyway, Justin, I think uh, we've covered enough of you, kind of which there. We'll just have to monitor that over the coming weeks to see what kind of route Sheffield United do go down. We'll obviously talk about it a bit more in Sunday's episode as well. But ladies and gentlemen, now let me introduce you to past Ryan, who will talk you through the rest of the midweek games in the championship.
Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Alan Carr to my Adele. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you? Um, I'm very good, thank you. I'm looking forward to the weekend. It's been a very um, exciting, in inverted commas, uh, week, week of football this week. It's It's been interesting to say the least. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the weekend to get this week out of the way now. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. That is very good to hear. This is the number one championship-specific podcast, ladies and gentlemen, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, that's right. We're going to run through all the games from the midweek in the championship, including wins for Sheffield United, Derby holding Fulham, and, of course, Poya Aspargi's first game in charge of Barnsley. We're very much looking forward to dissecting all the games from the past couple of days. But before we get into this jam-packed show, may I tell you, listener, about our friends at FansBet, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. Do check them out by clicking the link in our bio. They've got an exclusive offer for listeners to the second tier. You can get a welcome offer of bet £10, get £30 plus 10 free spins. UK mobile registrations only. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus, please do gamble responsibly. Visit begambleaware.org for more info. And do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. Let's jump right into it, Justin. Sheffield United got their first win in five by beating Reading 1-0, but the game was overshadowed by the collapse of midfielder John Fleck. He went down in the well midway through the second half and received urgent medical care. After 10 minutes, he was on his feet and using an oxygen mask before being stretched off and taken by ambulance to hospital. He then stayed in hospital overnight and has since been discharged. Just in brilliant news, but at the time, it was scary scenes, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was... Um... I mean, it's very hard to sum up in, in, into words yeah, how, how scary it is. I, I can't imagine, firstly, what the players would have gone through, obviously John Fleck as well. Uh, and also the, the supporters in the ground, it can be quite a uh, trauma, traumatic experience for everyone involved. Um, but it's good news that, um, that John Fleck's been discharged from hospital and he's back up in Sheffield. It's just a case of hopefully get to the bottom of what it is so it doesn't happen again for him. Yeah, absolutely, and um, especially with everything that happens, obviously with the Euros, with Ericsson, it's it starts bringing back scenes of that, doesn't it? But uh, mm. thankfully, he is all right. Uh, we wish him, of course, a speedy recovery, and hopefully we'll see him back on the pitch again very soon. But let's talk about the game itself, Justin, because Sheffield United deserved the win, didn't they? They probably did. It was a game of few chances for, for both teams, just to throw that cliche in there, but I think individual-wise, um, from Sheffield United perspective, there were improved performances all around. Um, Morgan Gibbs-White was a constant threat. David McGoldrick was his usual David McGoldrick best when he's really when he's really performing. He's, he's, he's such a handful for sides. The way he drops into the number 10 position, it's very difficult for, for, for teams to pick him up. And he used that to his advantage and obviously grabbed the assist as well. Gibbs-White, as I say, hit, hit the woodwork from a, from a, uh, a, court, a free kick, sorry. And yeah, it was it was a, a much better performance from the weekend. Still didn't create enough chances, but it's progress for sure. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I'm not sure the opposition were up to much, but we'll talk about that very shortly. But I thought Sheffield United did play some good stuff at times. There was one mm. moment in particular where Brewster flipped the ball over his head to a teammate. It was then squared twice and eventually fell to Jaden Bogle. Had it gone in, it would have been a contender for a team goal of the season. It was a beautiful bit of play. Um, but then they eventually did get the goal soon after that. But we have been critical of them plenty of times this season. 
rightly so, I'd say as well. Mm. But they got the job done here in difficult circumstances and fair play to them. Not sure they were faced with a particularly stern task, as I say, because Reading, well, let's talk about them now, just in four points from a possible 21 for the Royals now. And they're certainly in a bit of a rut, aren't they? They are. I, I spoke about Reading um, in uh, earlier on in the week, and I was I'm com- I've convinced myself that they just cannot go down with their squad. But you talk about that run of form, four points in twenty one. It's it's not good, is it? And they're still a long way off from the likes of Lucas Shaw um, being available, Michael Morrison as well. So, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable viewing for Reading at the moment. I think mostly from from their perspective is is. Are they performing as well as they were earlier on in the season when they went on that good run of form? And they're not, simply as. They're not creating enough now. John Swift's, don't think he's dipped, but the Reading have dipped and he's dipped with Reading. Ajari has not been impactful. Um, and obviously, going forwards, they are a bit shy. So, yeah, it's not it's not good for Reading at the moment. And this game sort of epitomise a lot of the issues that they're facing. Well, obviously, we've been lambasting, you know, the Pukas situ- Puskash situation up front. Um, but I don't, that's not the only problem, is it? Because they haven't been creating many chances anyway. That could be down to the movement of the striker or front, but nonetheless. Um, I think early on in the season, when they did have that good run of form, they pr- were probably a bit too over reliant on John Swift getting them out of yeah. jail on plenty of occasions. And now that that's not happening they're really suffering for it but I think they've also been leaky at the back as well not as bad as they were early in the season but they've been slipping back into that kind of a style I suppose mm. and you talk about the relegation battle we were we thought it was going to be just down to a small handful of teams didn't we but they've all been showing small signs of improvement over the last few weeks or so while other teams have been looking like they could get dragged into it. And Reading are probably one of those teams you especially look at, considering their recent run of form. So it's worrying times for the Royals. Obviously, the points deduction didn't help things, but uh, I don't think you can rule out them being in the relegation battle as the season goes on. They've definitely got a lot of uh, improving to do. Derby had the unenviable task of an away trip to Fulham, who had just won seven on the bounce heading into Wednesday night. But the Rams came out of it with a point after keeping the game goalless. Justin, you, I'm guessing you saw this game being a Derby fan. What did you think of it? I, I actually thought it was a really good nil-nil. As far as nil-nils goes this week, obviously we've had quite a lot of draws. This was quite an entertaining one. Um, I was quite impressed with, with both sides, to be honest. I thought Fulham created a lot. I don't I don't want to fall back onto that. Oh, they're all missing Alex Alexander Mitrovic. I mean, he would have made a bit of a difference, but I think they, they're creating enough chances to win the game. They just they just weren't firing on all, on all cylinders. Um, and then from a Derby's perspective, they broke well at times. They they held their shape and um, they were they were disciplined in in their defensive uh, roles. The only thing that didn't happen was it, it, neither side just just put the ball in the back of net. You look at Fulham Carvalho hitting the post towards the end of the game. It was just one of them, one of them nights for, for Fulham, but um, nonetheless, they, they, I thought they performed pretty well, and it's not a, not a bad result for, for both sides, really. Well, I think it is hard to say that Fulham 
wouldn't have won this game without Alexander Mitrovic, considering the chances they missed. There was one moment in particular where Muniz was through on goal and he just sliced it so badly. Anyone <laughs> listening could have done better, even you, Justin. Um, but I think an Alexander Mitrovic in that situation would have at least got it on target because uh, it was a really, really bad miss from him. But nonetheless, I think it was just one of them days for Fulham because they did create plenty of chances. Derby were pulling off a defensive masterclass in terms of late blocks and Kel Roos saves and what have you on Mm. a different day. I think it definitely could have been all three points heading back to Fulham. But I thought Derby gave them a good game as well. They created a decent number of chances themselves, didn't they? More than you'd expect a team like Derby in their position to create against a team like Fulham. But four points against Bournemouth and Fulham over the last few days. Any team in the division would snatch your hand off for that, wouldn't they? Let alone one in the position that Derby's in we've said it many times before though haven't we that they're not a bad side and they're actually very very tough to beat they are tough to beat you look at um, I mean the amount of draws they've collected they've collected the most draws this season they're the first side to to go away to Fulham and keep a clean sheet away side that is so I mean it shows you just um, just how resilient they, they are because they're, they're, sh- they're showing these teams that they're not going to roll over and allow you to, to tickle their bellies because there's a lot more there's a lot more life in there than, than some might expect. I think even the commentary in uh, on the game last night we were just like, oh, why aren't Fulham winning? It was just questions like that all the time. Um, but Derby are a good side and it's important to respect them because they can they can catch you out. Yeah, absolutely. They're not going to go down without a fight. And we saw that in the last two games in particular. Um, It's going to be a big ask for them to actually stay up. I still think that's very unlikely. But uh, Wayne Mooney is certainly adamant that they can give it a right old go. And they're certainly doing that. One player in particular who's really impressed me for Derby in the last couple of games is Liam Thompson, Mm -hmm. the 19-year-old. He started the last couple. And he really sums up what Derby are all about at the moment, aren't they? Because uh, he works his socks off. I, I, I barely see every, any young players running around as much as he does. But he's not afraid to get in people's faces either because you've got a physical midfield that we saw at the weekend with you know the likes of Billing and what have you. And then yesterday you had some unbelievably talented players in the Fulham midfield. But Thompson is there and he's uh, making himself counted, isn't he? Is he? Has he impressed you at all, Justin? He has. He does the he, he does the unenviable job of being the, the the so-called water carrier for the midfield. He's the archetypal box-to-box high-energy player and every midfield needs it. Um, and it's a good role for him to develop in, especially in the short term, because it's not one that requires too much technical um, prowess. So him being able to gain confidence in the senior level in that role is, is important. And yeah, he's he's showed some maturity, as you say. He's come up against the two best teams in the league and he's come out the other side feeling pretty happy doing well so yeah it's, it's a good good couple of games look forward to seeing more spot on Poirier's Bargi's first game in charge of Barnsley ended with a 2-0 loss at home to Swansea got to be said at times it was like a training session for the Swans <laughs> wasn't it they completed 811 passes Cal Norton alone completed more passes than the whole Barnsley team this was a masterclass in Russell Martin ball wasn't it Justin I guess it was. I, they left it late to score. Um, I think that's the only criticism I'd have. Obviously, if it's a master, I'm just being critical for critical sake, I guess. But um, if it was a master class, they'd have they'd have wrapped the game up earlier than that. But nonetheless, it, it, it highlights just how good of a team Swansea are in possession, um, and it shows you just how far 
they could possibly go. I think Barnsley sat off them a lot. There was some semblance of organisation from them, which is a positive sign. But from Swansea's perspective, yeah, this was as straightforward as they come, I guess. Yeah, I think I think you're right in a way. I thought uh, Jamie Patterson's goal was beautiful in in terms of that was Martin Ball at its finest with the way that it's gone from front to back or back to front, I should say. Um, and then Jamie Patterson has absolutely hammered it home, and that sums up how well how good a season he's having. Cause he he's been a quality signing, anti Patterson. It had been a good signing for any team in this division. Um, when he returned back to Bristol City from his loan spell at Derby, he was brilliant. And then he started last season really well. And then he picked up an injury, which just summed up his time at Bristol City. Um, he, he would hit a nice run of form and then he'd pick up a knock and he'd be out for a few weeks. And um, and, and it goes from there. But with Swansea, he's managed to stay fit and he's been such a key player. He's, he's got a bit of a free role, I guess. And I think that's getting the best out of him. He's been absolutely fantastic. And he's scoring goals, making goals. He's... he's the, I wouldn't say the best midfielder in the league. He's one of the best midfielders in the league, especially from a creative perspective. I think the only player who, or, or the only person who has really outshone Patterson for Swansea this this season is his mum, because on Twitter she has been fantastic. She she is the she is the definition of you know supportive Twitter mum because every time. Patterson scores his mum's on Twitter saying well done Jamie that was a beautiful goal so proud of you and it's just hardening content Justin it's wholesome stuff that you love to see on Twitter if anyone's not done it yet make sure you follow Jamie Patterson's mum on Twitter she is an absolute legend and without a doubt for me has been the MVP for Swansea this <laughs> season and I'm all for it um Justin for Barnsley I might hope that this might be the moment where their season turns around but based off this I'd be very worried would you? Not necessarily. I, I, I wouldn't be worried. Um, as I say, Swansea are the best possession-based team in the league. As Barkis had two training sessions, just needs a bit more time to, to get his ideas across to the players. We saw, as I said, we saw um, some semblance of, of organisation and little glimpses of what he can bring um, to the side because they were disciplined, they were organised, didn't create a lot but they also restricted Swansea as well until that last 20 minutes when, when they started to fade. Um, they can be better with the ball, absolutely, but I think this um, lack of creativity stemmed them all season. It's not just now. So I wouldn't be too worried yet. I'd allow us Bargy to get, um, get stuck into the players a little bit more. I will give him the caveat that he's only had a handful of training sessions to get his ideas across, but considering the lack of any style that I saw when Barnsley actually did have the ball. That's why I'd be concerned. And they created nothing, absolutely nothing against Swansea here. They did not lay a glove on them at all. So that's where I'd be worried because they've got to start winning games. It's all well and good, you know, holding it back tight at the back and grinding out results here and there, but they have got to start winning games and the only way you're going to do that is by scoring goals. And if that doesn't happen, then Barnsley are going to sink without a trace and could end up being overtaken by Derby the way things are going. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it is looking quite worrying for Barnsley, especially after the performance from last night. They're now six points from safety. It's getting uh, rather alarming up at Oakwell. And as Bargy has certainly got his hands full trying to turn it around. Hull have now got three wins from three after beating Cardiff 1-0. Justin, not long ago, Hull looked like they were just waiting for the Grant McCann era to be taken out into the back garden and put out its misery. But now, it's all turned on its head, hasn't it? 
it's, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's, it's a, we've not seen this um, type of fight from, from Hull under Grant McCann um, probably since the first half of his first season at, 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 uh, at Hull. So it's it's fantastic for them because they're not only are they winning games, but they're also keeping clean sheets. They're doing something that they've not been able to do all season because they look terribly hopeless um, defensively at times. But... You know, it was a really good uh, first half performance from from them, but an even better second half performance from them because, as I say, that you know they they've gone from a team leaking goals and leaking chances to a really hardy, resilient, disciplined side, and that second performance showed that for me. Well, I, any listeners who listen to us on the regular will know that we were lambasting Grant McCann for going back to the four two three one that he uh, obviously favours quite a lot instead of going for the 3-5-2 that he started actually winning games with. But he started to go back to that and he's winning games again. Football really is a simple game at times, Justin. Um, but I think that has really helped because they have been tighter at the back, as you say. And I think that has been helped by playing the three at the back. But it's also helped the likes of George Honeyman, who has been fantastic in the past three games. And we saw last season when he was in League One, he was one of the best players, if not the best player in League One last season, and has now started to find his feet in the Championship as well which is a massive boost for them um, and he's just tweaked things around and before I thought whatever Grant McCann was going to do I think his job was you know running out of time now I'm not really sure what the new owners do when they eventually take over the club because you can't sack a manager who is going on a decent run of form can you I I don't know it's, it's a weird dilemma to be in isn't it um if I'm the new chairman, uh, new owner coming into Hull, I would, and I, I've already had in mind that I want to get my my own team across, my own manager in, etc. I would do that, but then you do upset, you do risk upsetting the side, upsetting the apple cart as it is. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a weird situation to be in. I think as soon as he loses a game, and obviously the new owner's in, that'll be the time to pull the trigger. But you can't, you can't sack him if he wins the next ten games, for example, and then gets sacked. There'll be there'll be protests. Well, Again. 10 games would be ridiculous. Yeah. But, uh, if you look at it, something more realistic like, I know, five games or something like that, then uh, then the owners have certainly got a call to make. But considering they have said in the past that they want the club to be made up of Turkish people, then uh, I wonder if whatever Grant McCann does is a bit futile. But uh, we shall wait and see on that front. But let's talk about Cardiff, Justin, because uh, we've been getting stick from Cardiff fans, I think that's fair to say about uh, our comments over the Steve Morrison era. Results like this only support what we've been saying, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm not going to get. I'm not getting involved in this uh, battle. Um, I've said, you know, I've res- I'm reserving my judgment on Morrison. The, what I will judge now is that why the team can't get started in the first half of games. I know it's something that's plagued them all season. I.e., they, they haven't scored a first half goal yet this season, for example. But even um, especially under Steve Morrison. What we've noticed, or what I've noticed, is that they just don't get going. Um, they they created some, well, they got into some dangerous positions, but really did like kill a final ball. And then in the second half, Hall defended really well and, and still reduced Cardiff um, to some some half chances. It was it wasn't a good display. Um, but as I say, I'm not being overly critical of Morris. I think this is an issue that's plagued them all season. Yeah, it was always going to be difficult for Morrison to turn it around so quickly after the Mick McCarthy era, which was, you know, pretty much as bad as football gets, really, <laughs> uh, for any championship side. So it was always going to be difficult, and I've got full respect for that being the case. I just wonder if Morrison's trying to do too much too soon because he's giving 
kids a chance and that's obviously great and he's also trying to change the style of play something I'm not sure you can really do with this Cardiff, Cardiff side but I digress I just worry that considering Cardiff are only you know a couple of places above the relegation zone at the moment I look at it and wonder if giving an inexperienced manager this job with the club in the state that it is that's a massive risk and considering he's trying to do quite a lot while also trying to turn around the results, I worry if there's too much trying to change at the same time. So if I was Morrison, I'm not obviously trying to tell him how to do his job, but I'd be looking at it and just trying to keep it as you know simple as and just grind out results as you can because that's what Cardiff need to do. Otherwise, they will get, get sucked further into this relegation battle and the turnaround in results that I think many people are expecting won't happen. Um, but I, I do hope Morrison is a long-term success, despite our jibes with Cardiff fans recently, because he seems like a top bloke and he's certainly got all the, you know, he's got the things that you want to see in a manager, playing the kids, trying to play a nicer style of play. I just worry if trying to do it now may be a bit of a bit of an inexperienced step and it might be showing his lack of experience in the top job um, but they need to turn it around sooner rather than later Chris Wilder suffered his first loss as Middlesbrough boss they lost 2-1 at home to Preston Preston were 1-0 down in the 76th minutes before a quickfire double saw them take the lead late on the crazy thing is Preston had barely threatened up until that point but they did get a lot of help from Middlesbrough didn't they they did uh, before we get into the game I just want to say two of the best headed goals I've seen for a long time in this game oh oh Justin Justin if you appreciate the art of heading then there are two wonderful goals here for you listener for either side that you have got to look at Wonder it was headers. superb but in terms of a, <laughs> the second Preston goal that was a, yeah, that not was, one for the purists that was, that was bad that was bad um, but yeah I, as you say <laughs> you, you come in away as a Borough fan, you're coming away from this game thinking, how how on earth have, have you lost that? Um, because pre-78th minute, which is when I think um, Preston equalised, they were great. They were fine. They were they were doing the right things. I think Wilder blamed a little bit of arrogance in that second half. This He said that they were playing like they were 4-0 up, which um, if that's, if that's um, something that has seeped into these players, then it's something that Wilder will definitely hammer out. But I think, again, same as Saturday, plenty of positives to take from it. Very disappointing because... The, I mean, the, the Preston winner, for example, came from a, a mistake from a very experienced player, which was was bad. But um, yeah, plenty of positives there for Borough. It's it's um, it's progressed. Um, that that is a step in the right direction for them. I, mean, I won't go as far to say it's progress. Um, I, I think the the last the last minute goal we've got to give a bit more of a spotlight to because it, it was kind of like walking football where uh, you've got one bloke who's not very good and he's just played it against his teammate and then one hit's just got fallen to the feet of a, one of the opposition. It was really, really bad. You would not expect to see that at uh, the second tier level, I can tell you that for sure. Um, but considering things weren't necessarily too bad under Warnock and when you look at the two games Wilder's had now, I don't think that's necessarily progress. From a results perspective, no, it isn't. But what... Wilder is trying to get into these players is a completely different style of football to what you'd expect from Neil Warnock. Um, so you are going to encounter some problems and a, you know, some teething issues. Um, but I, you know, I thought Borough pressed well. I thought they moved the ball well and they did create plenty of chances, but he didn't put them away. I think Sporo had an absolute um, beautiful chance. I think it was um, 
uh, Everson pulled off a worldly save, which he's done on a regular this season. Um, if he puts that in, it's two 0 to to Borough, and they're plain sailing at that point. So it's you know, and then it's a different type of conversation. I think it is progress for Borough because, as I say, it's um, it's a completely different style of play to what you expect from a Neil Warnock side. I'm not sold, but it is only two games, and uh, Wilder, his tenure at Borough is more of a long-term thing, isn't it, as opposed to anything short-term. But Preston, they're a funny side, aren't they? Because whenever it's a bad result, the Preston fans lose their minds and start demanding McAvoy out, but then they follow up by getting a decent result or two, and McAvoy just seems to be doing enough to keep his job. It's um, treading treading water, yeah, he's treading water, he's, he's, he's up to the neck in it but he's not you know he's not giving up yet he's still going and that's um that's <laughs> a, a big positive i i do like frankie mcavoy he does come across as a, a as a genuine guy um and i was really impressed with him last season but as you say is he the right man for press at the moment probably is because he's still they're still ticking away um but performances like this fail to convince that he is he is the right man there's still a good group uh good crop of players um, at Preston, he's probably not getting the most out of them, but they are overstacked in some positions and lacking in others. So there is like there is that imbalance in the squad as well that doesn't help. But as you say, not a great performance here. Doesn't do much to convince you that McAvoy is the right man. But nonetheless, Preston keep going. Is that that guy at work who just does enough to not get sacked? <laughs> um, that that's what I'll say. Are they going to progress up the footballing ladder with Frankie McAvoy in charge? I really can't see it happening. I've got to say, um, but he's in charge for now, um, and they're ticking along all right. I can't see them getting relegated because I think there are plenty of teams in a worse state than they are um, but I can't see them progressing either let's move on actually just in less of a break after that we'll talk about a great goalless draw between Blackpool and West Brom and Bristol City winning at home again Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. There was a great game at Bloomfield Road between Blackpool and West Brom, but it somehow finished goalless. How it finished goalless is anyone's guess, Justin. Yeah, this was, uh, as you say, a really good nil-nil. Two really good nil-nils this week, which is a, a positive for all the, the Sky Sky Sports watchers. But um, yeah, both teams created plenty of chances in this game. And it was, as you say, quite an end-to-end one. Um, Blackpool, very good defensively. Good organised display from them. West Brom lacking that final bit of quality they need. Um, but I think going away to to, to Blackpool uh, from a West Brom perspective and getting a result, especially in their form uh, at home, is a very good result. Yeah, well, when you put it in the context of the cost of each of these squads and the fact there was a division separating these two last season, then... It's a poor result for the Albion, but as we've mentioned many a time on the podcast recently, Blackpool are proving to be a very tough team for sides to beat. The Baggies, though, did have their chances, but it is just one win from five for the Albion now. And as we keep hearing from West Brom fans who aren't too happy with the Ishmael um, style of play, they're uh, just kind of spitting along. Spitting along, yes. I'm not sure that actually makes sense, but you get what I mean. Spluttering is what I'm just trying to say. Spluttering, yeah, like a car that is like not quite got enough petrol in it. It's just like going, (laughs) and then it gets going eventually. Um, It's it's a very good analogy, and um, it's a a good way of describing exactly where West Brom at the moment, um, West Brom are at the moment. I think 
a lot of it is down to teams playing against West Brom. I think Ishmael didn't encounter this with Barnsley last season. That's probably down to other teams underestimating Barnsley, but West Brom, more teams are likely to put uh, to play less adventurous. They're um, more likely to put an extra man in midfield or, or in defence. For example, Huddersfield didn't play their usual game at the weekend against them. Um, they were a bit more defensive, not as... Uh, extravagant as as Cole Brown Ball is and they got a result and I go back to that Derby game where they drew 0-0 with, with, um, with West Brom and I think that put a lot of teams on alert as to how you get a result against this side because West Brom were cruising at that point and since then teams may have worked them out. Well it's a very simplistic way of looking at it but if you are able to defend balls into the box then you'll go a long way to getting a result against this West Brom team. Having said that, West Brom if they did have their shooting boots on here then uh, should have probably got a result but the same could have been said about Blackpool who had their fair share of chances as well. Both managers will probably come out of this thinking they probably should have got three points but uh, nonetheless it was a... It was a very good game for the neutral. At Ashton Gate, Bristol City beat Stoke 1-0. Stoke missed some unbelievable chances here, Justin. Yeah, it's it's weird. You'd come away as a Stoke fan thinking, we've got more for playing less in the sense that they've probably played worse. Um, They've probably played worse and and, and got better results. I thought Stoke, from their perspective, they... They played well. They, they they created, as you say, plenty of chances against uh, um, you know, away at uh, Bristol City on a on a Wednesday night. It's not um, you know it's not going to be the easiest of tasks, and and they made it look easy at times. They broke well. They they got balls into the box. Stephen Fletcher was a constant menace with the high balls at the back post, but just couldn't find the breakthrough. It was a strange game from a Stoke City perspective. Yeah, it really was, and Michael O'Neill will be wondering how they didn't get something from this game. But that'll be very frustrating for them, considering they were just starting to get ahead of steam going again. And despite injury problems that we've mentioned plenty of times, they were getting results on the board. And you'd have expected another win here, but just didn't happen. And that's um, what could cost Stoke as the season goes on. They're obviously a very good side, but are they good enough to get in the top six this season, considering there are so many times who are now eyeing up those playoff positions, then uh, they know they've got to try and keep pace with them, even though they are up against it, considering the injury problems they've had. And they could have really done with getting the three points here. But Bristol City winless at home for 10 months and now have seven points from their last three home games, Justin. Ashton Gate is a fortress again. It is a fortress. Bloody noses all around. Um, yeah, this, uh, as I say, from a Stoke City perspective, you come in away how you th- how, thinking how you've won that. From a Bristol City perspective, you're thinking how you've how you've how have you won that essentially? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was just a strange old game. But from from yeah from Nigel Pearson's side, uh, from his point of view, he, he'll be pretty pleased with the win. But I think in his post-match press, he acknowledged that. They do have to improve. They do have to get better. But there were some good individual performances. Alex Scott and um, Iman Benares both played really well. The youngsters they were they were really sort of disciplined and and um, did the jobs uh, as I say really well. And yeah, it's how did they win that? Uh, how did they come away uh, with the three points? It's a strange one. Well, I, I really like Alex Scott. I think he's a really really good player. He's only just turned eighteen in the last three or four months, but as played pretty much every game for Bristol City this season but has shown great composure for someone so young he is a raw talent but has really really held it together with uh, players who are much bigger than him and uh, much more experienced than him and considering he is so young then he looks like he's got a great head uh, for the game and you expect him to have a big future but Bristol City have given him plenty of chances and he's repaid their faith um 
of course, when you look at the bigger picture, Bristol City just not far off uh, the bottom three at the moment. They're just eight points clear of it at the moment. So it's a good thing they managed to turn around their home form in recent weeks. Otherwise, they would have been a lot closer to it. Um, but they are certainly helped by teams that are not having their scoring boots on. So definitely progress that needs to be made on the pitch. But at least results are starting to go their way again. A late Luke Amos header gave QPR a 1-0 win over Huddersfield, what did you make of this game, Justin? Yeah, it's another another decent decent game between both teams. We want to try and play football. It's always nice. It's just a shame they're always on on a on a weekday night. But um, quite impressed with both sides at times. Um, I think QPR edges the game definitely, and obviously deserved the win. Quite a strange goal, actually. Amos looked like he was completely unmarked. I had to watch it two or three times to really work out exactly how he got the header in. Because again, he looked like he was just about under the bar, under the keeper as well. So good header, uh, a good header from him. Um, and yeah, it's good to see him back in the side after such a long layoff, long injury layoff as well. But yeah, I think both sides went for it. Um, QPR edged Huddersfield and it's yeah, good three points for them. Yeah, Chris Willock got the assist. Just oh, a reminder God. that Chris Willock's absolutely brilliant <laughs> and I love him so much. Um, but yeah, QPR probably did serve the win here. Two teams, it is worth pointing out, both eyeing up the playoffs, aren't they? Uh, both going really well in their own respects. Huddersfield being let down by their away form. Six games without a win now, which is a massive contrast to their home form. And that's really what's letting them down. It's one of the many reasons why I can't see Huddersfield staying with uh, the fight for the top six as the season goes on. But nonetheless, they have shown uh, plenty of plenty of intelligence when it comes to playing Corbran ball and showing that they are going in the right direction under Carlos Corbran. But QPR looking really, really good for the top six at the moment, aren't they? They've tightened up at the back. They've only conceded two in their last five. And the results seem to correlate with how good they are <laughs> at the back because they score goals for fun, don't they? I think they've scored in... Uh, it's a ridiculous amount of games where they've... 33 they, games, uh, gone, Yeah, where, they, where they've gone, where they have scored... Um, and that's just not an issue at all, is it? Scoring the goals. But it's at the back where it has been a problem. And I think that has been a problem during Mark Warburton's time at the club, hasn't it? But if they get that right, then they've shown that they're a very, very good team, aren't they? They're a very well-balanced team. And as you say, if they get that defensive side of it right, because they've got good good individuals at the back. Rob Dickey, I mean, we were a Rob Dickey podcast for four games, weren't we? He was um, he was the league's best central defender for four games, and then they started to concede goals um, like fun at, at times. Johan Barbe, we know, he's very good at, at this level, and Jimmy Dunn, I think, it has been a revelation for QPR this season. That's a very good back three. Then you've got the likes of Jordi Device waiting in the wings as well. Um, they should be defending better, but I think it's more so um, earlier on in the season, especially. It's, it's that lack of control in games that, that didn't help them. They, they were overrun at times, but now they seem to have... Um, arrested that and it's and it's as you say it's correlating with results they're getting more results and clean sheets which is an absolute plus for that um, ch- that chase for the playoffs well they've snuck up to fourth now and only a point behind West Brom so yeah going very very well our Rangers and uh looking like uh, the team I think many people are expecting early on in the season. Blackburn were on hands to give out a harsh spanking to Peterborough they won 4-0 that man Ben Brereton Diaz getting two here Perhaps the scoreline flattering Rovers somewhat, though, Justin? Um, I, I don't know. I think they were helped by Peterborough not defending particularly well and also giving them goals. But you give this Blackburn team opportunities to, to score, then they, they're going to score. They're very good going forwards. It's probably, it's probably um, the other side of the pitch where they struggle. But as I say, Peterborough didn't threaten here. I think Blackburn were, were worthy 4-0 winners. They, they, they did what they, what they sort of faced up with, you know, Peterborough gave them goals, they took them. 
I'm not saying Blackburn didn't deserve to win. I'm just saying a four-goal deficit is probably a bit harsh on Peterborough, who missed two amazing chances from Johnson Clark Harris. Someone who seems to keep getting he seems to keep getting in the right positions, but just not finding the back of the net. And it's so frustrating because if they managed to get that, then it could have been a completely different game. And uh, may I take you back to the Fulham game just before the international break? Clark Harris missed a couple of really good chances mm-hmm. then as well. So if this was the Clark Harris from last season, then I think uh, Peterborough would have had some different results in recent weeks. But uh, it's not happening. I think he just needs to get one under his belt and then he may start scoring goals for fun again. But uh, we'll wait and see on that front. If we're on the theme of a uh, very good headers, Justin, Harry Pickering's for the first oh, yeah. was a beautiful header as well. We've had some brilliant headers this week. We'll always give a lot of credit to brilliant headers on this podcast, won't we? Because we appreciate the art that goes into them. But uh, getting back to Peterborough, Justin, their away form is just so dire isn't it and as things go that is going to be the main reason why they're going to be in a relegation battle for the season it's almost getting to a point where it's a guaranteed three points i think peterborough might have mentioned it the weekend everyone's probably heard about it now but they've hired a psychologist to try and get something out of their away games which is a strange step i guess in, in some ways i don't think it's down to psychology it's down to sort not just not performing well, um, but they were completely dominated in this game and they've now conceded 28 goals away from home, which is completely bonkers. Um, yeah, they're, they're completely hopeless away. It's going to be difficult to see them staying up if they don't improve that. Simple as. Yeah, well, their away form's got, well, their home form, I should say, has got to be ridiculous for them to stand any chance of staying up when you just lose every game away from home. So, yeah, it's uh, if you do have Peterborough coming to your grounds then you just are very very confident you're going to get three points because they are just so hopeless away from home but a massive concern for Darren Ferguson Millwall won Bournemouth won fairly even game really wants it Bournemouth perhaps just edging it perhaps yeah but it's very difficult to separate them both from from my point of view I thought both teams well from Bournemouth's perspective you'll be frustrated that you didn't create more to edge past Millwall you've got to create a lot of chances to you've got to create a lot of chances or to, uh, or take your chances against Millwall, and um, they did. They didn't really do do uh, either, and it was just a game of few chances. I think the draw was definitely the fair result. Gary Rout will be buzzing because he's taken a point off the one of the top two, and I think from Millwall's perspective, b- uh, big plus is Benic Fobre's goal took it brilliantly, and from Bournemouth's perspective, probably a little bit more disappointed. Well, he had a couple of moments of Fobre where he was looking really, really quick, and <laughs> I just assumed because he had a couple of serious injuries recently that he may have lost that pace but it didn't look like it on a couple of occasions in this game but yeah him getting on the score sheet will do massive things for his confidence and yeah Rowett will be buzzing with this result considering Bournemouth have been brilliant away from home haven't they Um, so for Mill to get a point here yeah massive result for them but I think this is really where we're going to find out what Bournemouth are made of, Justin, because it's been a bad week by their standards, hasn't it? Losing away at Derby at the weekend and then drawing here. And they've actually only got one win from their last four games now. So mm. considering Bournemouth early in the season, they were, we were lapping them up, weren't we? Talking about how good they were, looking like they could end up cruising towards promotion. Um, this is a really, really good test of what they're actually made of. And Sure, at the moment, there's a huge gap between them and third place and considering West Brom are stuttering and there aren't many other teams looking like they could potentially start challenging the top two, there is an, an enormous amount of pressure on them. 
having said that, they have got to turn it around, haven't they? No, you're absolutely right. Um, it is a it is a good time where you start to see what the, what this Bournemouth side are made of under Scott Parker. Fulham had their their um, their poor run earlier on in the season. They came out the other side and were absolutely brilliant. Bournemouth have got to do the same. That's the that's the test. And if they can do that, then yeah, they are they are made of stern stuff. They might well cruise that top two top two finish. But um, as you say, big few games coming up now for Scott Parker and Bournemouth. Yeah, at the moment they've still got the tickets booked for the cruise <laughs> to the Premier League, um, but they have uh, still got a long way to go before they actually get on the boat. Um, in the game, that was a battle between the tenants and landlords last season. Coventry and Birmingham finished nil-nil. Not much in the way of chances, but the big talking point was Ryan Woods's red card. What do you make of that one, Justin? I think it's a red card all day. I was um, I was actually quite angered by it and, and the suggestion that it should have been a yellow. I think um, I think Ryan Woods is lucky that he's not done more damage to Ian, Ian Martin there. I think I go back to that Hyung Min Sun against um, Andre Gomez where Andre Gomez came out with some a pretty significant injury where that was just a cynical challenge, maybe accidental, but it was the same sort of angle and he could have he could have done some real damage to Martin. Yeah, red card all day. Don't want to see that. I don't buy the argument that it is a red card. I think he's just... It's a tactical foul where he's just trying to bring down the man. It, I can't see how it's dangerous. All he's done is just clip his heels. He's, he's left no, the ground. Like, he's he's come from behind, he's left the ground. That's that's dangerous. He, all he's done is try to catch Martin's foot as it's coming down. He's, there, there's no cynical thinking there from Ryan Woods for, for my money. I, I just the whole thing was cynical. All, 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 of course he's not trying to get the ball but he's just trying to bring down the man he's not trying to hurt him in any way shape or form for me so I, I don't see how it's dangerous at all I've noticed how every former player I've seen who's commented on it says it's a yellow and that's all and I completely agree I think anyone who has played the game knows what Woods is trying to do there so as a fan I can see why you think it's dangerous but there's no way I, I can see Martin actually getting seriously injured from that kind of thing so I don't buy that it's a red at all yeah, I, I I completely disagree. I think I think Martin's quite lucky not to not to suffer some some damage. It could have been a it could have been a bad one. That's that's why I think he's put I think he's put the player at risk by making that challenge, and that's why it's a red card. That's serious foul play. That is the definition of serious foul play. I could not disagree more. Um, it is worth pointing out Coventry had a penalty not given, which was pretty blatant. Dion Sanderson uh, yeah. nearly pulling the shirt off the Coventry player. Uh, any disagreements there, Justin? No, I, I agree with you that one. The Riley McGree one is, is quite funny. Definitely not a penalty for Riley McGree for Birmingham City, <laughs> I will add. Yeah, there, there were a few shouts going around in this game, it's got to be said. But uh, not a bad result for Birmingham. Only two other teams have managed not to lose at the CBS Arena this season. It's been a bit of a fortress for Cov, so for Birmingham to come out here with a point... Not a bad result for Lee Bayer at all. And finally, Forrest and Luton finished 0-0, but Elijah Adebayo missed a penalty for the visitors. Forrest were also down to 10 men for a third of the game after Jack Colback was sent off for giving away the penalty. In the end, I think Forrest had to thank Bree Samba for winning this point for them. Yeah, he pulled off a world of a save in the last minute, didn't he, as well, mm. uh, from Cal Smith, and obviously the penalty save. Yeah, he's uh, he's won them a point, hands down. Don't think either team were at the races here, but um, Luton probably edged it with those those two chances. Um, nil nil probably a fair result well, Forrest I don't think had a shot on target or if they did it was one that was blocked and debatable whether it actually was a <laughs> shot on target or not but nonetheless I think uh, this may go down as another one in the Luton column where they missed chances and on another day mm-hmm. probably should have uh, got something more from it but uh, not the first time we've said that this season is it now it's time for this <laughs> Now 
Yes, it's time for the news and not really much news to talk about from the past few days, just in only a couple of bits, really. Stokes Nick Powell has tested positive for COVID-19, which Michael O'Neill has admitted will slow up his rehab from a leg injury, which he suffered last month. It had ruled him out for two months, but now could be longer, which is not good news for the Potters. Blackburn midfielder Ian Pervader is facing a significant period of time out after fracturing his ankle at the weekend. Um, Bad news for Blackburn, isn't it? Because Pervader... He's only had a few cameo spells, really, hasn't he? He hasn't necessarily nailed down his place in the Blackburn team. But in the times that I've seen him, he's looked a fairly sharp player and the one that I think many Leeds fans are expecting. Yeah, the last couple of games, I, th- I thought he really started to pick up and show Blackburn fans what he can do, what he's capable of. So this injury coming at this time is, is frustrating for him and obviously frustrating for Blackburn. So hopefully he can make a, a full recovery and get back as soon as possible because he's a very talented player. Spot on. And former Cardiff and Swansea manager Frank Burrows has died at the age of 77. He got the Bluebirds promoted twice and was also promoted twice to the Premier League with West Brom, where he was assistant Gary Meggs and Cardiff did a minute silence before the game in midweek. Right, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Thank you, Mr. Bartender. Yes, this is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legends. This week, I've given Justin six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All he's got to do is guess who it is. The score for the season so far is 5-3 to myself after I guessed Marlon Harewood last week. Can this ongoing tennis match that Justin and I have been doing, can it come to an end? Let's see, shall we? Uh, Justin, do you want the first clue? Bring it on me, let's go. All right then, all right. So your first clue is this. I've made 333 championship appearances, scoring 76 goals. It's not a bad record, the old triple three. Um, quite quite clearly a, a good striker, Shevki Kuchi. Good striker. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, it's not Chef Kikuchi. Um, I made my professional debut in the Premier League for Sunderland. Oh, you're not giving me a date, you cheeky, cheeky man. <laughs> Sunderland. Made his debut in the Premier League for Sunderland. Um, that's that's difficult. Grant Ledbetter. It's not Grant Ledbetter. 76 goals. Um <laughs> Roy Keane was a fan of me predicting that I would have a long and successful career that Roy Keane's always been a good judge of character hasn't he uh, so that must he must have made his debut back in that sort of 07 08 08 or 09 sort of years under Roy Keane or is it a red herring no don't do that these clues are these clues aren't nice um Christ, I can't think of anyone who's come through at Sunderland. Um, next clue. In the first... You've got three clues left, by the way. In the first nine seasons of my career, I only scored 28 goals before scoring 66 goals in the next five seasons of my career. <laughs> if I'm a listener, I'm up in arms about these clues. These are... These are, these are someone who clearly suffers from <coughs> Ben Brereton Diaz syndrome. Peaked, peaked late in his career. Um, made his debut for Sunderland. Roy Keane said he'd Connor Wickham. He's not Connor Wickham. Oh, I thought I had it. I've played for 10 clubs in my career. They include Coventry, Millwall, Leicester and Rangers. Martin Michael. 
this morning, Michael. Oh. <laughs> I thought I kept those those clubs there. I tried to keep them so vague that I, I was hoping you wouldn't get them because the what the other ones I was going to go for were obviously Derby, and I knew as soon as I put Derby down, you'd have got that instantly. Other ones I was going to go for were Ipswich, uh, Wigan, mm-hmm. where he had quite a good spell, didn't he? Um, how did you get it from those four? What was it? Millwall, Leicester, Rangers. And Rangers. Um, I don't. I think it was just a Rangers thing. I had to try to think of players who've played for Rangers in recent years because they had just about everyone through the books, haven't they? Since mm-hmm. Mark Warburton took over and then Gerard, um, and then the Sunderland, the Sunderland thing. But I can't remember him ever playing under Roy Keane or Roy Keane ever saying that. Well, the last clue was, well. I'm one of only nine players to have got double figures for goals and assists in a championship season since 2016. I'd have got it. I've got. I'd have got it from that. Cause that Ipswich season was just unreal. He was brilliant. Yeah, he, he's a. He, he had an unbelievable spell for Ipswich, didn't he? Did he? Get, did he get like fifteen and fifteen for goals and assists? It was close. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. He's not someone you usually associate with being, you know, a championship great, really, is he? But he's got a bloody good record over the last. I few to seasons, see that that record surprised me. Which that that record alone would have. I wouldn't have gone straight to Martin Michael on for that. That's, yeah. that's a very good record. Yeah, well, there you go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's now 5-4 to myself for the season. Justin's pulled it back again. No one is showing any signs of letting up here on the Craig Bryson pub careers. But uh, as the season goes on, will legs start to tire? We'll have to wait and see, ladies and gentlemen. But this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday for a, another round of Championship Games. So we look forward to seeing you then. May I remind you about Who Knows Wins? Make sure you sign up for that this weekend. You can join using the code SECOND. You can join our league using that. All you've got to do is pay £3 to enter and you could win a big old prize. So uh, all you've got to do is correctly predict the most championship games from 3pm on Saturday. It's a good old bit of fun, isn't it, Justin? You've uh, won a fair bit of money over that for the past few weeks. Yeah, my, my PS5 just arrived and that's what it's what, what I've invested my money in. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. If you win, you could get a PS5 as well. If you win the money, of course. You don't win a PS5. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's get out of here, shall we, Justin? This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening.